0: Hey, welcome to the C3 Church Victory Podcast. We pray this message will inspire you and activate your faith. Thanks for joining us. Uh, how are we this morning, church? Good? You look good? I said that already. I know. But you do. You should tell yourself that. Wake up in the morning, even though you don't look good, because we all know we don't look that great when we first wake up. Just point you in the mirror say, you look good. You look... Self-confidence is good. Who's been enjoying the Mark series? The journey through Mark, the endurance walk through Mark, the endurance walk, that's kind of where I'm at with my endurance training at the moment, just walking, I'm not fit enough to run, it's uh, it's a bit depressing actually, but I'll get there. We're in Mark 2, but we're getting close to the end, we're at the end of Mark 2 actually. So if you want to flick or tap to where we are, it is Mark 2 verse 23 to 28. Mark 2, verse 23 to 28. Now, if you've got your physical Bible, I like to call it the analog Bible. I understand the convenience of a digital Bible. Uh, but I like... Uh, the analog Bible's good for flickability. Great flickability. But you also... I, I remember when I was in youth, right? We didn't, we didn't have iPhones and, you know, the preacher would be like, turn to this book. And the anxiety of the moment where you're like... I don't, I don't want the person next to me to know that I'm looking at the contents to figure out where that is, because like, I'm not spiritual enough to know exactly where it is. Now, that's out the window, you know what I mean? Like, we don't, Because we've got our phones, that anxiety, you know? So I can get into the analogue. But the good part about the analogue is it's hard to take Scripture out of context, because you can see that it's part of a larger whole, it's part of a larger whole because if you just take one snippet, it's like grabbing a novel and just reading one part and go, I get this book. I understand. I know what's going on. I understand the story. No, no, no. You need to you need to have some context, so Analog's good for that. Analog's good for that. And you don't get distracted, right? How many people have their devotion plans, right? Get up in the morning, go get my devotion out, put it on the table, have a cup of coffee, a notification. Oh, I better check that. And then boom, it's just ruined. It's all out the window. Anyway, we're in Mark and I'm going to read it this morning. It should be on the screen for you. It's a familiar passage, but here we go. You'll probably remember it. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they begin to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was lawful only for the priests to do, to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Just mic drop, Jesus' mic drop moment right there. It's just, see you later, the Pharisees. I'm out. Let's go. Let's roll. And then they all jump in their, you know, cars and roll off. (laughs) That's what I imagine. (laughs) Their (laughs) (laughs) G-wagons. Off they go, down the road. That's, you know, if Jesus were here today, maybe, yes, I don't know. I love this passage and it's probably familiar to a lot of us and I just want to do like a little contextual recap if that's okay this morning. Like it's kind of, uh, we probably heard a bit of context at the start of the series but I just want to recap kind of like one of those TV series where it's like last episode and they'll like, really catch you up. So if you haven't been here, this will be a little catch up uh, but the book of Mark was written by or supposedly by a guy called John Mark and it was actually written to the Gentiles It was written with the Gentiles in mind. It wasn't written to a Jewish audience. It was written to a people who were unfamiliar with the Jewish customs. They were outsiders. They weren't insiders with the Jews. They didn't know all the Christianese, language, lingo. And so John Mark wrote this gospel with the Gentiles in mind, with outsiders in mind. So there was simplified language. He got to the point. It was for a different audience, for a different crowd. So we've got to understand that. I think that's helpful this morning. I think actually sometimes we could take note maybe of that. Like this is a missionary book. I think sometimes, you know, I like to try and think of ways that I can de-Christianize some of my language when I'm talking to friends, you know. That's actually, I've got a friend at work who's not a Christian. And it's amazing because he's, he's really interested in talking about like Christianity. It's, really, it's great. But it's amazing when I say things out of my mouth... And he's like, I have no idea what that means. And I'm like, it's, it's a stark reality of like, wow. Yeah, we, usually, we really do use insider language. But Mark, is, he's not talking to insiders. He's talking to a people that don't necessarily understand all this insider language. And we come to this moment in the passage uh, where Jesus he has been, he's been causing trouble all up until this moment. Jesus has been leaving a mess all behind him. He's, he's causing trouble, he's poking at the system, he's like annoying the Pharisees, he's, he's I mean, it's, I could I don't know how, like, how he planned this out, but I could imagine Jesus, you know, how he went away with his times of solitude with the Father? I could imagine he's like, Father, what are we doing? Like, what's, gets his notepad out, and am like, Father, what are we, what are we doing next? And he's like, oh, heal a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. Oh, <laughs> yes, he's like, that's, that's going to really get the Pharisees going. Woo. Like, I don't know if that was Jesus' attitude. I'm re- I might be projecting a little bit uh, because I like to do this. Uh, and then, you know, what else can we do? All right, let's, let's eat with some sinners and tax collectors. Yeah. Let's, yes, they're going to get talking. They're going to get happening. They're going to get really upset with that one. Let's uh, tell the disciples, hey, let's stop fasting. Like, we, I know we meant to fast. Let's not fast. They're gonna ask questions and then we'll we'll get into it. All right, yeah. So it's like, this is Jesus with the Father, and he's just like, we're gonna, we're gonna, here we go. Here we go. Like this is the campaign. He's ready to ruffle some feathers. And so Jesus, he's been ruffling some feathers all along up until this point. And you can feel the tension building if you read through this passage, through, you know, Mark 2. You can feel the tension starting to build. And mount, because Jesus hasn't publicly declared that he's the Messiah yet, right? So the tension is building, the Pharisees are getting upset, and Jesus doesn't, he has little regard for his public reputation. It's God, we've got to remember, it's God. Um, But his followers grow and his movement begins to build. And this is where this moment on the Sabbath happens. And I can imagine the disciples, they're going for their nice walk just through the grain fields. Who, who enjoys walking through some grain fields? <laughs> oh, we've got some hands. I enjoy walking through the bush, but, you know, I'm not picking food out of the bush. I'll take my own. And uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through the grain fields. You've got to, like, I want you to imagine yourself. They're walking through beautiful grain fields, heads of grain. Does anyone know what heads of grain look like? If you don't, yeah, yep. Just check out a wheat bix box or something. <laughs> um, but they're walking through beautiful day, and it's the Sabbath, Right? And we come to this moment, it says, when one Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields, as his disciples walked along, they begin to pick some heads of grain. They're hungry, they needed some snacks. I uh, I read this Instagram meme recently that was like um, something about snacksidents. Yes. So it's like, <laughs> decides to have one snack, and then it's a month of snacksidents. You know, like just <laughs> decides to eat healthy, one snacksident, ends up in a month of snacksidents. So the, the disciples, they're having a snack. As they begin to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And I, I don't know if they were hiding in the grain fields. Do you know what I mean? Like, crouched down like below the, the heads of grain. And they just pop up just to catch them. They big. They had those big headwear things. They would have given it away. But I can imagine that the, Pharisee, the Pharisees were like this. They just, they were trying to, the tension is building and they're trying to pounce on anything Jesus is doing. They're trying to jump on any minute thing that he's doing wrong or that is unlawful. They're trolling Jesus. They're the, they're the, the Pharisees, that, And if you don't know what a troll is, just in case, most people probably do. But a troll is internet slang. For a person who intentionally tries to inflict conflict, hostility, or arguments in an online social community. So obviously, trolls—that term wasn't around. But I could imagine that the, the Pharisees were like trolls. They were just trying to jump on everything Jesus was doing. But I love that Jesus was kind of trolling them back. <laughs> like I, I don't know about you. I just love that thing about Jesus. I just—he's a rebel. I, I just—I don't know. I love that about Jesus. And I don't know, like I said before, I think it's because maybe I like to do that and I have to hold back. I don't go on online too much and on Facebook and get into those kind of discussions, but I have to do illustrate one story that I actually did. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Like it was, I picked my fun battle. It wasn't really a battle, but you know, trolls online, but I, I like to have a bit of fun and just ruffle some feathers, but I thought, okay, I'm going to ruffle these guys' feathers and it was on Instagram and I was following this channel and they put up a post and I didn't realise that they were kind of having a go at certain pastors and I was like, you know, big international famous ones. They put up this post of Elevation Church Lego set and it was like, they're making fun of Elevation Church because they're such a big famous kind of church and all the people in the comments were like, you know, absolutely ripping on them and I just decided, I thought, oh, I'll have a little bit funny. fun here. All right, this is awesome, I'd buy this. And I just, thought, I, just thought, I just love the idea that people are going to be squirming behind their phone at the fact that I've mentioned this. So someone replies to my comment, it's best if you go to a church without false teaching. And if you don't believe me, there's plenty of YouTube videos to explain. I thought, wow, what a comeback. YouTube will t- teach me. Someone gave me a clown emoji. Um, and then I replied, yes, YouTube is great. It's where I see Pastor Stephen's highlights. And I just, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't causing really any serious trouble. I just knew that they were squirming in their seats. And I just, I can imagine, I just feel like Jesus was kind of doing it with a much better cause. Jesus is doing that. But the Pharisees, they were trolling Jesus and the disciples. And what's interesting, right, the law about the Sabbath was given to Moses by God on the mountain, Right? It's actually one of the Ten Commandments as part of the Mosaic law. it was actually lawful for them to pick heads of grain on the Sabbath to have a snack. It was actually lawful, but it was unlawful to the Jewish law. See the Jewish people or the, the Pharisees, they decided to create big buffer zones around the Mosaic law just to make sure no one got too close. you know they were like, okay, it's too close for people to have a snack like we don't want people to break the law, so we're going to police that. We're going to give it a real good big buffer zone. So they said, picking heads of grain is actually harvesting. So you can't pick heads of grain. It's classed as harvesting, guys. You can't do it. So technically, Jesus and his disciples, they were sweet by the Mosaic law, but they were, they were coming up against the Pharisaical law, the Jewish law with all these extra added on right. moments. See, they believed that their self-effort in keeping these laws would please God and keep them holy and set apart. And then he answered, Have you never read David? Uh, what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Jesus just like poking, poking them even more because they would have known this story off by hearts. Like this was their whole life. They would have known the story of David. So when they go, have you never read what David did? They're like, of course we read what David did. We know, I can tell you the whole story off by heart. And they would have been fuming. Like it's a little bit passive aggressive if you, under, if you uh, like I said, I don't know if Jesus was passive aggressive, but I, it kind of comes across that way. They would have known this. But what is interesting is they would have read it. But they didn't, what Jesus was trying to say is they didn't really understand the Scriptures. They could read, they could recite, they could, bang. they're great, but they didn't really understand the Scriptures. He said, in the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. So Jesus kind of draws a parallel to an You've got to remember, people, the Jews don't know that, you know, they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. He hasn't declared that he's the Messiah. And here he is drawing a parallel between himself and King David, which to the Jews, like King David, David, like, oh, my goodness. And he's drawing a parallel. He's just he's just rubbing them the wrong way a little bit more. And fun fact, it wasn't actually Abiathar who was the high priest. It was Ahimelech. Um, so that's they got that wrong. But... Um, which is true, but, you know, let's not go into that. It's a bit uh, complicated. But Jesus, you know, he just annoys the trolls even more, which I love. And some scholars say that this was a much larger debate, but we've got to remember that John Mark is kind of condensing things to bring us or the Gentiles, like, the main point of what is happening here. And Jesus finishes by saying, it says, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. How good is that? He hasn't said he's the Messiah yet, however, he keeps making these references. Again, he's making these references using the I'm the Son, he's saying the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are starting to think, gee, what? Wait. And what Jesus is actually doing here is we've got to realise that he's not actually, he's not actually having a conversation necessarily about the Sabbath. This is not a debate about the technicalities of the law and the technicalities of the Jewish law. It is, but it isn't. What Jesus is actually doing is trying to give them some insight to who he is. And this is more a conversation about who he is and about their ideas and their held beliefs than it is necessarily about the Sabbath. See, the Pharisees love their traditions. They take comfort and confidence in their traditions, and I don't know about you, but when I think of the word tradition, like what comes to mind? So our, obviously our series is called When Tradition Becomes a Trap, but what comes to mind when you think of tradition? Christmas? Someone said Christmas. I heard Christmas. Like I, I, I tend to think of, say, like different denominations. Like I grew up in a Catholic family, a, an Irish Catholic family, which is, I had like the first confirmation and all that kind of stuff, like Like, I was in it, I remember I got given, at the end of that, I got given a Bible, which was way too, the text was way too small, like, it was probably this, like, a pocket Bible, and I'm like, ooh, and I was scared, like, I was really scared, because I couldn't read it, and I think someone was joking, but they said, oh, you've got to read through that seven times, otherwise you can't get to heaven, and I was like, oh, my goodness, it's too small, I can't read that, I've got to read, seven times in my lifetime, how am I going to do that, and I was just petrified, like, I had no idea that they were joking, but my grandparents were Irish Catholics and they were devout. My grandpa would open up um, the, the church at Bulleroo like every day. Every day he was down there early opening up the church, getting things ready. And at my grandparents' house, it was awesome. They had statues of Mary. They had statues of Jesus. Now, all the old statues from the church where Jesus and Mary's hands had fallen off, like they broke off because there was like a thin part of the statue, So there's statues of Jesus and Mary around the house with no hands and and there was paintings of like bleeding hearts Jesus and there was like candles, like holy candles and everything and I remember my sister and her friend did a sleepover and they were like roasting marshmallows over the candles a little bit. But I remember my grandparents would wake up really early and I remember hearing them like praying. They were devout prayers with the rosary beads, and they were praying. And but so when I think of tradition, I wonder if we think of of things like that, you know, these kind of traditions. And when we think of ourselves, we go, "Oh, do we have to trad- do? Oh, no, no, we're Pentecostals. We're um, we're we're free, man. We don't have all, all those things." But but the definition of traditions. Let me find it. Gee. The definition of traditions is ideas. It's not just like these paraphernalia. They're ideas, habits, practices, belief systems. So when it comes to traditions, we definitely have traditions. We can't be fooled into thinking that we don't have traditions. We definitely have traditions. Customs, practices, routines, habits, principles beliefs or ideas? What are some traditions that you have in your world? You see, this conversation is not a debate about the Sabbath, it's about ideas and beliefs behind their traditions. See, Jesus is exposing the fact that what had been used as a tool by God has eventually been turned into a trap by the Pharisees. And so the question this morning we have to ask ourselves are, are some of the traditions, the beliefs, the customs, the habits that, we, that are just ingrained in us through life, have they become a tool in our life or have they become a trap? Are they a tool in my walk with God? Are they helping me walk with God in intimacy, in growing, or is it a hindrance is it a trap of my held beliefs and thoughts and customs and ideas and habits? Are they trapping me because they have become God wow. instead of God? And this is what Jesus is saying when he, says, when he says that son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So how do, we, how do we know that something is a tool or a trap? Because not all traditions are traps. Not all traditions are traps. Some of them have great purpose. Actually, there's a great quote that I love from G.K. Chesterton. It says, do not remove a fence. A fence, like a picket fence, not offense, a fence. Do not remove a fence until you know why it was put up in the first place. How good is that? And it, Because someone intentionally put that fence there. Someone put that there for a really good reason. No one just goes putting fences up for no reason all around the place. And what he's saying is before you tear down traditions, make sure you know why it's there. And we actually in, I guess, Christendom across the world, there is a movement to tear down a lot of traditions, a lot of great things out of the Word of God, a lot of traditions that we hold fast to, theological traditions, uh, the Word of God, and there is a movement to just pull them out for no reason, just to go, no, no, I don't feel like that's good. I don't feel like God would do that. And they're just taking all kinds of things down. But I love it. Do not remove offense until you know why it was put up in the first place. And this is what Jesus is doing. You see, Jesus doesn't argue that the Sabbath should be removed. He's not saying, oh, get rid of all these things. No, He's, no. he reframes and repositions its usefulness under his lordship and authority. How good is that? He's not saying, oh, I'll just remove all the rules. No, there are some great things. Spiritual disciplines, regular being in the Word of God, regular prayer. Sometimes these are disciplines and we've got to like, like wrestle our flesh to get to that point, right? We're going to wrestle our flesh to get to the point of prayer. That's not a bad tradition. That's a good thing because it's, we're, our disciplines, our spiritual disciplines are tools in our walk with God. But who knows when it comes to devotions and Bible reading that if the wrong idea, belief system or thoughts about God behind our devotional time or behind our spiritual disciplines can, are, are wrong and our ideas about God are just slightly off, they can change from a tool and they can, can become a trap. So over here I might see spiritual disciplines in the Word, regular prayer times, even if I don't feel like it as an amazing way to connect with God. It's getting me into the place with God. It's bringing me close to God. But when it turns into a trap, is when I feel like if I don't do these things, or I miss a day, or I don't, I don't pray for this or for that, God's displeased with me and He's upset with me and he's, He views me in a certain way. And Now this has become a trap because my thoughts and ideas and belief system about what, was, what could be good has now trapped me because, oh, like my devotional Bible reading plan streak hasn't worked. Or I didn't get up and do it this morning. Oh, no, God's not happy with me. I'm not spiritual enough. Or, you know, we start to have these thoughts and they can start to trap us rather than be used for tools. So is it a tool or is it a trap? Through this series, we keep referencing guitars (laughs) in church history. Woo, guitars. Now, I wasn't around when the controversy happens. It would have been fun. Sounds like it would have been a fun time. <laughs> organ players, not so fun. They're like getting rolled out the side. <laughs> I would have been on team guitar. Just saying. I would have been on team guitar. And we love guitars now. We love guitars. They sound awesome. We've got them up here right now. There's a keyboard. Keyboard. <laughs> Synthesiser. Kind of an organ, I guess. But... <laughs> what if something else comes along and threatens our beloved guitar what if something threatens our U2 slash Hillsong style guitar sounds that we've come accustomed to associating with the presence of the Holy Spirit I mean that's a fun little example but it's true it's very true I mean a little example for me I actually love listening to like Christian hip hop that's my way of worshipping God yeah represent yep now, a lot of people be like, hip-hop, how can you do that? I'm like, I listen to that more than Hillsong. Like, that's, I just love that. They're praising God. They're glorifying God. You see, it's not really about the guitar or a different instrument or a different style or a different sound. It's not about the trappings or the outside things. It's about the ideas that we have come up with that set, ourselves, set themselves up against how God can move. God can use any instrument for His glory. But are we so entrenched in our ideas of how God will and must move? If it doesn't sound like this, look like this. Revival look like this one time. But if it doesn't look like revival used to look, it's not God. No, God can move in any way that he wants. If people aren't falling over, the presence of God's not here. I love the falling over movement. The falling over movement is good until people started pushing people over because they turned an experience with God and they wrapped some theology around it that said people have to fall over to experience the presence of God. Now, I love, I want to fall over. I want to experience the presence of God in whatever way God wants to move. But it's when people start pushing people over, it's become a trap. This is how God moves. This is how God moves. We're going to push people over. And it becomes a little bit strange, but God can move. The presence of God could be moving all around us. Just like God Himself was standing right in front of the Pharisees. God Himself was standing in front of the Pharisees, but they failed to see Him because of their ideas and traditions. They were trapped. They were standing before God, but stuck in their own ideas about God A.W. Tozer said what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us Dallas Willard said there is no avoiding the fact that we live at the mercy of our ideas yep. and this is never more true than with our ideas about God right. Right. Eve was sold an idea That's right. she was sold, sold an idea that, that God was withholding from her right. that that God was holding better, withholding things from her and that she could know better. See, I think when it comes to our ideas behind God and how He thinks or views us, some of the ones that really trap us are um, we believe that our efforts need to please God. If I pray enough, read enough, come to church enough, stop sinning enough, try to be perfect enough, God will like me and He'll be pleased with me and, and then I can experience His presence. But because I don't do these things, then I'm not good enough to raise my hands in worship. I'm not good enough to talk to God because I haven't for a week or a month, or maybe it's been a few years. I'm not good enough to experience the presence of God because or receive healing or hear his voice because I haven't done X, Y, and Z enough. But the truth is, none of us are good enough. Absolutely everyone, none of us are good enough. That's the truth. And Jesus will offend our minds to reach our heart. And grace, the grace of God, offends my mind sometimes. Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense what Jesus has done for us. Thanks for making time to hear this message today. We encourage you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au.